We're going through the book of Philippians, and uh, we're looking at a, a very, it's a, it, it real, I, I know this term is used a lot, but it's a mind-blowing concept that he is giving us in this chapter. He tells us that we're supposed to have the mind of Christ, to allow that mind to be in us, the kind of mind that would humble himself all the way down to die on a cross. And a cross, remember, is not a thing of glory. It is a thing of shame. It, 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 is, it, is, it is being put to death in public naked. Now, we see it as a thing of glory. In fact, Paul said, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross. Why? By whom the world is crucified unto me and I into the world. It saved me from this wicked world and from hell. That's why I glory in it. But it is a very humbling thing. Nothing more humbling to a human being than the cross. And Christ came all the way down to the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. And then he tells us that's the mind that we're supposed to have towards other people. Be willing to die to help someone else. Literally. And, and to help specifically our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's start in verse number 14. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do you joy and rejoice with me. Christ humbles himself here in Philippians chapter 2, and he becomes a servant. And he does so in the absence of spiritual accountability. He says, work out your own salvation much more in my absence, not just my presence. Christ gave us that example when he left the presence of his father and came to this earth. He gave himself, he did his best work when his father wasn't around. Now we understand he was always in communication with his father until that time on the cross. Even that was sacrificed. But you understand that that he's showing, he's using Christ's Example for the Philippians to understand. They're encouraged to work out their salvation in Paul's absence. Now, if you haven't been here, working out is only possible if God has worked it in. In other words, you can't work up your own salvation. That's not what he said. He said, work out your own salvation, which is given to you as a free gift because of what Christ accomplished on the cross. And then he continues, he says, in order, in verse number 14, in order for you to do this, to shine as lights in the world, to be blameless and harmless, you need to do all things without murmurings and disputings. You've got to stop your complaining and arguing, otherwise you'll never be a light shining in a dark world. He says, if you don't do this, my work among you will be in vain. In other words, I'm not going to be rewarded for someone who does not go on to glorify Jesus Christ. He says, if I lay down my life, if I sacrifice my time, 
my treasure, my talents, all of that. I'm willing to do that if you are benefited. And if you are benefited through my sacrifice, I am going to enjoy my life, even if I have to sacrifice for you. And it's for this reason Paul calls on the Philippians as well to rejoice with him. He said, this is a life worth living. Living your life for someone else. The overarching message in this context, in this passage, is that the Philippians should live blamelessly and joyfully. Hold on to the word, the word of life, even though the surrounding culture is dark. So that Paul's missionary work among them will not be in vain. Now we're going to break this down this morning, starting with the phrase, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. Something very quickly to note is that Paul regularly brought back to his mind, and it was pressing on his mind, the day of Christ is coming. Specifically, the judgment seat of Christ where he, a child of God, would give account for those things that he did in his body, whether it be good or bad. There are two main passages that tell us about the judgment seat of Christ. If you're not familiar with it, suffice it to say that there is a judgment coming for every believer. The judgment for sin was accomplished on the cross when Christ himself was judged for our sins. He was judged for my sin. It makes no sense. That's why religion makes no sense. That God the Son was judged for my sin, and yet somehow I'm going to do something to earn it. How could you ever earn a sinless being dying for you? You can never make up for that. The cost is too great. That's why religion is, is, is can I say, stupid? I don't mean to be unkind, but when you really break it down, it's just nonsense that anyone could work his or her way to heaven when the Son of God, the sinless Son of God, gave himself as an offering, right? So the judgment for sin has already been accomplished, but there is a judgment coming to determine whether or not the things that you do after you have salvation are good or bad. Now, we don't like to think about judgment. We like to think of God as this big, you know, Jeff Bezos in the sky that just decided to give us everything on Amazon. Like, he, he loves me so much that he could never bring himself to reprimand me. There, there's a judgment seat coming, and Paul had that weighing on his mind. He knew that he was accepted in the beloved, but that in some way... His position in the millennial kingdom would be determined by what rewards he got at the judgment seat. We don't have time to go through that, but that is a reality. God doesn't just randomly, it's not a lottery system as to how you're rewarded in the millennium. Remember that concept of have thou authority over 10 cities. That's a real thing. That's a real thing. Now, I don't think too many people will be pushing to the front of the line to try to be the mayor of Toledo in the millennium. I don't know. But, but let me ask you this. If God was looking for someone who could order his kingdom aright in a certain region, could he look towards you? You see, sometimes we have this idea that when we get to heaven, we're just up there, we're having fun, marriage, supper, the lamb, we're just kicking back and chilling for the rest of eternity. And it's not true. 
The Bible tells us very clearly that we're up there for a certain time. When Christ returns to judge this earth, the sword of his mouth comes out and destroys his enemies. We come with him, and then we are part of his reign. We rule and reign on the earth. And believers who act like they're reigning now, they have it wrong. This kingdom, he said, my kingdom is not from hence. Now is it not from hence. I'm not ruling now in a physical sense. I will be ruling in a physical sense back on the earth. Now, I'm thankful to tell you, it also coincides with the regeneration of this planet. NASA and everybody else uh, that, that thinks about the destruction, you know, apocalyptic uh, literature and so forth, we think about, no one wants to live here, this is a disgusting planet. Yeah, but when the creator decides to recreate it, to regenerate it, it's going to be awesome. And you and I are going to live here. We're going to have an opportunity to rule and reign with him. Can you imagine being on the ticket with Jesus for a thousand years? And by the way, it's not an election. <laughs> thankful. I'm thankful. There's no, no trouble with the election whatsoever because there's no election. He just comes down and says, I made this planet, belongs to me, now we're going to do it right. And that's coming. And Paul has that in his mind. You see, there's more to the Christian life than just getting saved. You have to be, once you're saved, now you've got to find out, like Paul said, I want to know why he came after me. I want to apprehend that for which also I was apprehended. Why does God have me on the earth? If heaven is so great and God is so wonderful, why does he leave me here on this wicked world? God is giving you an opportunity to get in the game and score a bucket. He's letting you do something with the life that he has given you, and you can make your life an offering. And that's what he says. He says, I want to rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain, which, by the way, is connected with whether or not the Philippians follow God. So if you want to know whether you have any fruit, look at the people that God has put in your life to influence and see whether or not they are following God faithfully. Paul told Timothy, the things which thou hast heard of me, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. That's fruit that remains. Man, if we look at our ledger, each of us, we probably say, I wish I had a whole lot more fruit than I do. But may I remind you, that's the reason why we emphasize discipleship here. It's not just a matter of come to church, we'll download the sermon, do what you want. Now, we're thankful for people who come and want to do that. But what we're actually about here at Hope Baptist Church, why? Because the Bible tells us we're supposed to be about it, is intentionally helping people to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And then for them, those people who are being conformed to the image of Christ, not saved, not saved, being conformed to the image of Christ, the inward reality being made the external reality. What is true on the inside, I'm in Christ, Christ is in me, now needs to be true on the outside. When people look at me, they say, you must belong to Jesus Christ. There's something different about you. Your spirit's different. And we're helping people not only do that, we want to help people help other people do that. That's the reason why we're all here today. 2,000 years or so after Christ ascended. Somebody just floated into the sky. Three and a half years, by the way, after having worked with these disciples, he left. And they were so prepared and ready, even though they were fearful, even though they were weak. They were so prepared because of the words, John 17, I have given them thy word, and they have manifested my name. They were so successful that here we sit today. You can trace it all the way back somehow. It's amazing. And we have an opportunity to get in on this wonderful plan of God. That I may rejoice in the day of Christ. 
So what does he say? In verse number 17, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. I want you to see first a personal offering here. A personal offering. To be offered is to be sacrificed. Paul's imminent death was a distinct possibility of his time. Remember in chapter 1 he said, whether uh, Christ is going to be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death, I don't know if I'm going to get out of this thing physically alive, but I know I'm going to get out of it one way or the other. And so he's not sure right now, and this wasn't apparently, you know, historians tell us this, was not the time that Paul actually offered his life. Second Timothy says, I am now ready to be offered. Here he says, if I be offered... So it's not a guarantee that he's going to die, but he's like, um, if it comes, it comes. I'm ready to die. Let me ask you something. Right now, if you had to die for something, what would it be? Like there was no other way around it. In order for you to accomplish and protect or to serve or to help, you had to die. What would you give your life for? Paul here says, if I be offered. He did not consider his life too precious to be offered on their behalf because it was a service done to confirm the faith of the Philippians. I want to give my life to confirm the faith. You know, people sometimes will say, I want to, give, I want to make sure my kids get in church. That's a good thing. But I can never understand why someone would drop their kids off at a Christian school or bring their kids to church or send them to church and not come themselves. And the reason why I say that is because if it's true for your kids, it ought to be true for you. I just want to make sure my kids get a good Christian education. Why? So they can all, I guess they can make money and be like everybody else. Again, if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. But Paul said, yet now is Christ risen from the dead. And so because of that, everything in my life changes. I'm even willing to sacrifice myself. Take, hold your place there. Look at Romans chapter 12. Go to your right. Romans chapter 12. I, I am so thankful. Lord, I want to say this publicly. I'm so thankful for the opportunity to preach the Bible and teach it to you. And, and you are very kind for coming back. I know you're not doing it for me, but for the Lord. But I just feel sometimes well, I'm uh, very, very privileged that I have this opportunity. Romans chapter 12. Look at verse number 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You see there? Sacrifice and service. What kind of sacrifice? A living sacrifice. God does not want you to take your own life. God never asked someone to take his own life for himself. God said, I want you to be a living sacrifice. Now, there have been plenty of people who have died because of Christ, but not willingly. They did not die because they wanted to die. They died because someone else wanted them to die. And they were willing to offer their life as a sacrifice. Here, he said, I want you to be a living sacrifice. Wouldn't it be easier sometimes, you think, just to, if the Lord were to just kind of go from high to off, life, just switch it off. Okay, done. No more sin, no more problems, no more questions, doubts, no more bills, no more health problems, no more relationship problems, just off. Aren't you glad that there are off switches? 
I am thankful. Sometimes I wish there was an off switch for life. But there's not. But there is. Because Paul here is saying, I am begging you, I beseech you, by the mercies of God, God is being merciful to allow you to die to your flesh and desires and offer your body as a living sacrifice. And how often do we do this? Paul said, I die daily. I am willing to say, not my will, but thine be done on a daily basis. And why, why do I do it? Wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Here, Paul is, is, is using this metaphor, used in Romans chapter 15 as well. An able minister, uh, that's Hebrews, but he talks about ministering the gospel as a priest. Okay, So the priest makes offerings... But Paul is saying in Philippians chapter 2, if I be offered. This is what sets us apart from the priests of the Old Testament. This is what sets us apart from priests of religion. Is that we are not offering other things hoping God is, is, is pleased. We are offering ourselves because God is pleased with Christ. Christ offered himself. Hebrews chapter 7 tells us, who needeth not daily as though high, those high priests offer up sacrifice, daily, daily, first for his own sins and then for the people's, for this he did once when he offered up himself. The priests didn't offer up themselves. They offered, up, they offered animals, they offered drink offerings, incense. But Christ, as the high priest, offered himself. Now, the reason why that wouldn't work for a priest is you can only do it one time. And they needed sacrifices every year. You'd have a new high priest every year. You know what Christ did? He said, well, I'll offer one sacrifice. I'll offer the perfect sacrifice one time. Never needs to be offered again. That's why when we have communion, we are not receiving salvation into our bodies. Why? Because every time you receive that, you're reminded again that you're a sinner and only the blood of Jesus Christ can save you. If you're receiving salvation by putting it in your mouth, why do you have to do it every Sunday? I thought he said he gives unto you eternal life. Eternal life means eternal. We people say once saved, always saved. No, it's not that I have earned it. It's that it's the quality of the life that he gave me. His salvation lasts forever. Does not have an expiration date. Doesn't wear out. How can I know for sure I'm saved? Not because I've been good this week. Because <laughs> even if I told you that, I know better. You know why I know I'm saved? Because his sacrifice was once for sins forever. Doesn't wear out. Never gets old. He is always alive forever. And because of that, I can trust in Jesus Christ. Not because I repented the right way, or I was really sorry for my sins, or I, I really worked hard to make sure that I don't do that anymore. That's all you. When I receive Christ as my Savior, I say, all of my works are as filthy rags. I'm not trying to bring that as a sacrifice to you, God. I am receiving what you are offering to me, not what I'm offering to you. I'm receiving what you offered to me as my only ticket to heaven. So I can know for sure I'm going to heaven because Jesus Christ is never going to die. And he said, come, come, I'll give unto you eternal life and you'll never perish. What a marvelous son of God we have come into contact with. What a great salvation. It's even so great that it might even start getting into your Monday through Friday life. 
It might even start making an impact. In fact, in Paul's life, Paul said, if I die, it's no big deal. If I die, I'm going to rejoice. That's what he said. If I be offered, I rejoice. I joy and rejoice. You see, it's the offering of ourselves that God is looking for. Not for salvation, but because of salvation. God wants you to offer what? Your time, your talent, your treasure? Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's all good. You know what God wants you to offer? You. You. You know what people will do? They'll give anything but themselves. Why? Because I know what that means. When, when I got married, I knew what it meant. It meant it's this one girl for the rest of my life. I, I'm not looking at any other girls. But you know, it wasn't just that. It wasn't just, you don't look at anybody else. It was, no, you get to look at me. I am yours, and I have a privilege of sacrificing and serving this person. That's what it's like. It's the same as what Paul's saying here. We offer ourselves through Jesus Christ who offered himself. We have nothing worthy to, for God to accept us. His sacrifice becomes ours. So I want you to see, first of all here, the personal offering. And I want to I, I stop for a moment and say, have you offered yourself to God? I didn't ask, are you saved? That's God's offering for you that you received. Have you offered yourself to God? Have you, have you ever said something like this? God, whatever you want to do with my life, you can do. My heart is open to you. Now, how many times do you have to do that? Well, Paul said, I die daily. And he said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. you got to keep doing that. You want something to keep offering? You're not offering some kind of a sacrifice for your sins. You're offering yourself because you have been saved. You're offering yourself as a regular sacrifice. God, you can have my body. You ought to be doing it every day before you clock into work. You ought, you ought to be doing it before you go to bed at night. God, I'm offering myself. I'm offering my family. I'm offering anything I have. My car, my house, my job, you name it. My children, my spouse, you can have it. You know what you think? You'll give to God as much in in correlation to what you think about God. Because if you think God is out there to kind of get something from you and take something from you, and and he's he's actually kind of, no, you know what? You have a misconception of God. And you'll hold back. And you'll say, well, God, I mean, I've given. Look at how much I've given. Lord said, I'm not interested in the stuff. I want you. I want the golden goose. Not just the eggs. Or the goose, rather, not just the golden eggs. I want someone who produces sacrifices. Not just the sacrifices. You follow what I'm saying? I I don't just want my wife to, to, to do nice things for me. I want her to love me. God doesn't just want you to do nice stuff for him. And stop being bad. He wants you. If he has you, he has everything that you can produce, everything that you own. That's what God's after. Paul's saying, if I be offered, if, now in a physical sense, if I die, okay. Spiritual sense, I'm ready to sacrifice right now to help you. 
anything you need, I will do to help you. That's the spirit that he has. And what's the purpose? Verse number 17 back in Philippians chapter 2. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, what's the sacrifice? It's the act of giving up a desirable thing for a higher object or to a more pressing claim. Paul is offering himself, if I be offered. You know, every year at the Day of Honor, coming up in November, we'll do it again. We thank our veterans in the community. We say, thank you for your sacrifice and service to our country. We are forever grateful for what you've done. Sacrifice and service. Now, some have sacrificed a limb. Some have sacrificed their own lives. But they all have done so in service. Now, there are people who serve that don't sacrifice as much. There are some that sacrifice more. But I want to ask you a question. Why do we consider that to be an honorable thing? You know, the cause really determines the value of the sacrifice. You follow what I'm saying? Some people have given themselves, there were, there were several men who gave their lives in sacrifice for the cause of uh, jihad back in 9-11. Was that a worthy sacrifice? It was a service in their eyes. In their mind it was. You see, it's not enough to just say, I, I appreciate your sacrifice and service. You, I, you have to stop and think, why is that a valuable thing? Why would we think that you are sacrificing, that your sacrifice is a good thing? I can tell you why. It's tied directly to the cause. The cause of liberty. The cause of freedom. Now, you hear, you'll hear soldiers say, we, when you're in the foxhole, you're fighting for your buddy. Well, why is that a good thing? I'm I'm just trying to get you to think a little bit. You see, we all sacrifice for something. You know what most people sacrifice for? Themselves. They work hard, make their money so they can buy what they want. Or so they can afford the house that they want. or, Or so they can go on the vacation that they want. You know what true sacrifice? By the way, you, you, you buy something you want. Hey, the fruit of the, that's the fruit of your labor. The workman is worthy of his reward. You work hard. You want to buy something nice for yourself? Great. But we're not going to put on a banquet to honor you for that. Right? Why? Hey, no, no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it. We all care about ourselves, and we should. You ought to take care of yourself. But, but, but sacrifice goes beyond that. Sacrifice and service. You are trying to help someone else. You see, this is the foundation of what God's trying to tell us. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God, thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself. You have to love God and be willing to give your life to God. And that in return, God will say, okay, if you're giving your life to God, I want you to go give your life to that person over there. Well, I don't care about those people. I just want to read my Bible and I want to sit in, 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 a, in a cabin somewhere in the woods. And there's time for that. I'm thankful. There's time for being by yourself and resting in the Lord and hearing from his sweet Holy Spirit. You know what God's going to do? He's going to let you be in the cave for a while like Elijah, and then he's going to send you back out to the nation. It's sacrifice and service. It's you saying, God, I am all yours, and God saying, thank you very much. Now I want you to go serve this person over here. That's what Paul is saying. 
If I be offered on the sacrifice and service of your faith. Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 17. By faith Abraham when he was tried offered up Isaac. He offered up Isaac. Paul is a type of Isaac in a few ways. I want you to think about this. Now, now bend your brain with me for a minute. Are we doing okay today? Okay, everyone's very quiet today, and that's good. It's like a library. Let's keep it down in here, okay? Isaac. He's the first Hebrew of a Hebrew. Who was the first Hebrew? Abraham, first Hebrew, because he came from Heber. Okay? Now, first Hebrew of a Hebrew, Paul called himself a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Remember that? Isaac. Isaac was born well past the time of natural childbirth. His mom should not have been having babies, but it was a miracle that God did. Paul also was born out of due time. Isaac was offered as Abraham's sacrifice of faith. Isaac was offered. Now, we think of Abraham offered up Isaac, and he did. But, you know, Isaac could have said, Dad, can we not? You know, as the kids would say, not you trying to sacrifice me. Listen, Isaac was complicit in that sacrifice. He was willing to be offered. And that's what we see here. Paul is willing to die for the Philippians' faith. It was Abraham's faith that was proven by Isaac's sacrifice. Do you see that? God said to Abraham, take now thy son, thy only son, whom thou lovest, and get thee into one of the mountains of Moriah, which I will tell thee of, and offer him there as a sacrifice. And in order to prove his faith in God, he had to take his son Isaac and offer him. And in a sense, that's what Paul is doing. He's saying, I proved my faith in God. Rather, I proved your faith in God by sacrificing for you. I'm willing to be offered so that your faith is furthered. Paul was willing to experience whatever pain it took to help bring these folks to maturity in Christ. Now, here's, I, know, I know this is all kind of heady stuff and, you know, Mind-bending stuff in some ways, thinking about it. But I want you to think about, who are you as a believer willing to sacrifice in order to further their faith? For whom are you willing to sacrifice? Well, I come to church to get fed. Well, you should. But you also should come to church so that you are more prepared to feed. Fathers, what are you doing in your home to help raise up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Well, I give that to my wife. <clears throat> Fail. Sorry, next answer. Just using a little sarcasm to draw out the fact, hey, listen, what do men love to do? Chill when they come home. But we have a responsibility as fathers. We have a responsibility as husbands to invest in our wives spiritually to help guide them. Well, I don't know anything. I don't know anything. You know why you don't know anything? You don't read the Bible. You start reading the Bible, you'll start knowing some stuff. I'm not telling you you can shove it down anybody's throat. 
I'm saying sacrifice is not willing to sacrifice the other person. It's willing to sacrifice my TV time, my phone time, my hobbies time in order to help further the, the faith of another believer. I started with the men because that's where it should start in the home. But ladies, you have a responsibility as well. Hey, you want your kids to be raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Well, maybe you've got to stop worrying about what they're wearing or worrying a little bit less about what they look like and worry about more what's going on in the heart. You see, the Lord is concerned with the heart. All the rest of that stuff is wonderful and great. It has its place. But if you're not investing in the hearts of your children, you can't say with Paul, I'm ready to be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. I am ready to do what is necessary to push you forward. And listen, make sure your kids' teeth are cleaned. Amen. Get their hair done. Put them in school. They can learn the three R's. That's wonderful. But the most important thing you can do is teach them to to know and to love Jesus Christ. It starts with you knowing and loving Christ and then extends to others. You say, well, I don't have any kids in my home. Well, I guess you're done then. Why hasn't God taken you away from this world? You got neighbors, don't you? You got grandkids, don't you? You've got friends, coworkers, you got people at work, you've got you, you you've got long-term friends. There's all kinds of people around. It just is hard. It's not easy to sacrifice for other people. Why? I know what I like, and that's hard enough to get what I like. The Lord is calling us to deny ourselves. And take up our cross and follow him. Christ pleased not himself. He was willing to go to the cross to help allow us an entrance into the kingdom of God. We got to be willing to give up time, money, me time in order to help somebody else. You've done, I think, a service to yourself, but you've also done a service by coming to church this morning for anyone that's in your sphere of influence. Because you hearing the word of God and listening to it, now you have an opportunity, I would say an obligation, to help somebody else. Here's what the Bible says. Now, you can come to church like I have many times and just like, hey, check the box, I'm there. And that's good. That's good. You know what's even better? When you start looking at the words of God and you say, oh, look at that. Never saw that before. That's good. And you start caring about the words of God. And then they start becoming a part of your daily life. The words of God are impacting what you watch. Impacting who you hang out with. What what you do with your spare time. It starts impacting how you talk. How you think. The Bible changes everything. Why? Because Christ said, I came to give you another life. Not yours. Another life that's eternal. Now, we've got to move on quickly here. The purpose of offering is the sacrifice and service of your faith. To offer ourselves for one another is the true privilege of priesthood. Next, we see in verse number 17, the product of personal sacrifice. First was a personal offering, the personal nature of the offering, and then the purpose of the offering, and now the product of this personal offering. He says in verse 17, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. I'm happy to tell you that you can be happy. You can have joy. That sacrificing and giving for other people is not just a laborious exercise. 
He said, I have joy because I am sacrificing to help you. Would you take your Bible to John 16, verse 21? Some of us, roughly half of us, will not be able to identify with this properly. John 16. Look at verse 21. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish. Sorrow, travail, and anguish. But as soon as she's delivered, she forgets it. Why? For joy that a man is born into the world. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again. And your heart shall rejoice. And your joy no man taketh from you. The product of personal sacrifice is joy. Paul was willing to go to such effort and pain, and he was equally ready to meet a violent death because he knew that joy would be the result. I dare say that if men gave birth, and by the way, I don't know if you're familiar with biology or not, but they can't give birth. Um, If men could give birth, by the way, I did mean to use sarcasm on that because this idea of changing genders is stupid in every possible way you can think of. I'm not trying to be harsh. I feel badly for people who have been lied to. From a clinical, professional setting, they've been lied to. All you have to do is hop on the internet, find some documentaries of people who transitioned and now they hate themselves and and they're trying to come back, but they can't. Somebody lied to them. In many cases, somebody lied to them and encouraged them. It's a crime. There ought to be a law against it. Very simple. Very simple. You say, you seem pretty wound up. Yeah, when you can't tell the difference between male and female, I think people are getting stupid. Really, somebody's got to stop. You say, well, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Listen, go on and on and on all you want to, but somebody got you into this world. You know how they did it? The old-fashioned way. <coughs> Pretty easy. Pretty easy. Um, where was I? If men gave birth, there would be no children. Why? We're not, we're not interested in that much pain. <laughs> Listen, we can do without that kid. <laughs> you say, that's horrible and terrible. Some of you are like, I would. Okay, yeah, you're the kind of person I'm worried about right there. <laughs> now, we understand men do sacrifice and they give themselves and they, they're willing to throw them, their lives down. But after the child is born, okay? Women, you have a unique understanding about about pain and suffering. And, and what causes someone to be able to endure that? Now, I've, I've heard stories of women saying, I don't care, I don't care, just get it out, get it out. You know, and then, but I, I, I don't think I've ever heard of someone that after all of that, who was in a, the right frame of mind, who said, that, ca- that kid caused me too much pain. I'm not interested in seeing it. It changes. When a child is born, she forgets that. Now, she may take a long time. Some of you may have scars that, man, you wish you could go back and undo. But that itself tells you 
there would have been some joy there. And for the vast majority, there is joy. Even though there's pain, the pain is not the point. But you can't get the joy without the pain. Believers, the point of the Christian life is not to be miserable. Now, I talk a lot about sacrifice and denying yourself and taking up your cross. But may I remind you, Jesus himself, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. The point was not the cross. The point was the resurrection. But you had to go through the cross to get there. The joy came after the resurrection. The joy came after the pain. You see, the product of personal sacrifice is that you can have joy in a way that you have always striven to get it and never could. You can only have the joy of helping someone's faith if you're willing to sacrifice to help get them there. Now, everybody likes the kid who stands up and can spout out a bunch of scriptures. But how many want to have that day in, day out time where you sit down and say to your child, A, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. B, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Who wants to sit and do that? Nobody's watching you, mom, when you're investing in that child by yourself. No one sees the effort it takes for you to say, okay, kids, let's get together for family devotions. No one may watch you as you go into the jail to present the gospel to a bunch of guys who are in big-time trouble. There There may not be anyone watching you as you go to the nursing home and you minister to these people. But I can tell you this. Come judgment seat of Christ time, you're going to have a lot of joy. You're going to see that God was watching every moment. And in some cases, God will let you see that here on this earth. That's what Paul is excited about. He says, I'm watching you Philippians, and I need you to hold the line. Stay in there. Keep driving. Keep, keep going straight. If you stop, man, my service is in vain. But he wants them to continue because he wants some joy. Lastly, I want you to see in chapter 2, verse 18, the power of of mutual sacrifice. The power of mutual sacrifice. He says, for the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Isaac willingly offered himself as a sacrifice, and when he did, it brought joy to Abraham. John chapter 8, verse 56, Jesus said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Well, how did he see Christ's day? He saw it in type, in figure. He saw Christ's birth in the promise that Sarah, his aged wife, would have a son. He saw Christ's death in Isaac, the substitute offering, as he willingly offered himself. And he saw Christ's resurrection when he received Isaac back, as it were, from the dead. He saw that sacrifice of faith that Jesus Christ made. By faith, he saw it. You know, the uh, father of the prodigal son said, For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. There is a joy in sacrificing to bring others back to God. There's a joy in sacrificing to improve the faith of someone else, to help them know God more. So I close by asking you this question. How much of this Christian life is really real to you? The self-denial, the self-sacrifice. 
sacrificing for the benefit, for the well-being, for the betterment of others, because it is that particular life, specific life, that God is calling us to enjoy. It's the life that God makes possible. It's the life that results in real joy. Every other way of living just leaves you longing for something you can't find. The joy that you seek is found only in serving Jesus and serving others. That's the theme of the entire book of Philippians. Joy through the mind of Christ, no matter what. That's the theme. Joy through the mind of Christ. Well, what was the mind of Christ? The mind of Christ was, I will give myself for you to bring you to God. I will take my time and sacrifice it, whether it be meeting for discipleship, trying to help further someone else, whether it be going and bringing the gospel to someone in a normal, routine, average setting, or knocking on someone's door, or holding a sign on the street. I'm willing to sacrifice my own understanding of what I want my life to be, my plan, my idea. I'm giving it up so I can help someone else get closer to God. Now, if you work overtime... You provide for your family. That's an honorable thing. But I ask you, would you be willing to sacrifice to further the faith of your family? Would you be willing to sacrifice to encourage someone else in the ways of the Lord? Americans, in general, have it pretty good here. American Christians do well at work. Why? They have character. They show up on time. They do their job. They don't leave before they're, supposed to, before they're supposed to. Most of them don't. Some do, but we don't, you know. They stay. They do their job. They, they sometimes are promoted often. Uh, I should say often. They're promoted because they do well. Why? They're willing to put the time in. They realize, if I sow, I'll reap. I'm just asking you, believer, do you ever think about that concept when it re- is regarding this book and your life? Have you ever thought about the fact of putting in some overtime for God? You ever thought about sacrificing your time, not just for you and your family, but for somebody else spiritually to go beyond? Aren't you glad other people have done that for you? When they didn't have to, but they did. Hey, they're willing to sacrifice, maybe even come back on Sunday night. Hey, Sunday night's family time. I don't know about you. I wouldn't have a family if it weren't for God. It's weird when people start putting their family above God or putting their job above God or or putting their spouse above God. You wouldn't have those things if it weren't for God. And, And how can you thank God for them? You can say, God, I'm willing to give up some of this and some of that I'm willing to. I'm not talking about one person stays at the church 24 seven just to make sure that there's always somebody here. No, I'm not talking about doing away with your family time. I'm not talking about not having, uh, working a job where, where, where you put in long hours and do a good job. That in itself can be a testimony. I understand those things. But I'm asking you specifically in your heart of hearts, are you willing to be offered upon the sacrifice and service of someone else's faith to push them forward? No, not just giving a sacrifice and helping them. Offering yourself. Maybe the way that you think, the way that you operate, the way that you've always understood your life to be. You're willing to change it up if necessary. Do something out of the box. Look weird. Feel vulnerable. Put yourself out there. Why? I want to help you. I want to help you grow in the Lord. 
I want to encourage you. Maybe it would mean getting on your knees and praying for 25 minutes. Praying for an hour. Not for your own needs. Hey, we pray about those and we should. But sacrificing my time and mindset and even my heart right now as I go to God in prayer for you. I care about you. I want to see God bless you. Well, they're not related to me. That's a sacrifice, isn't it? Hey, we all care for the people that care for us. We all love our family and we ought to. But this is going beyond. You see, this is the miracle of what Jesus Christ does in so many different races and religions and ideas. He draws them all, black, white, yellow, red, or green. He brings them all to the the cross of Jesus Christ. And he says, I gave myself for you. Now I'm asking you to give yourself to me and then to others. When I live for you and you live for me, and I sacrifice my life for you, and you sacrifice your life for me, we experience together a joy that we would never know otherwise. You'll become like a lighthouse on a rock-bound coast, shining with blameless beauty among a dark world. Now, light is silent, but it reveals. Light is gentle, but it is mighty in its effects. As we shine, we are consumed, but the sacrifice is not in vain. The oil is used up by the light, but the sacrifice is not in vain. Some poor, struggling sailor out there can be rescued. There was a man named Luigi Pascali. He was a pastor of the Waldenses in Calabria. He was condemned to death after a long captivity. And just a little while before his death by fire, he was visited by his brother. When his brother saw him, the effects of the captivity on his brother Luigi, he fell on the ground from weakness. He could not believe the man that he had become. Luigi said to him, My brother, if you are a Christian, why do you allow yourself to be thus cast down? Do you not know that not a single hair can fall from our heads without the will of God? Trust in Jesus and take courage. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. He also wrote something to his wife. He said, these are the feelings of my heart. My faith becomes stronger as the hour approaches, when I am to be offered as a sweet-smelling sacrifice unto Christ. Yes, my joy is so lively that I can fancy I see my fetters broken, and I would be ready to brave a thousand deaths were that necessary for the cause of truth. He said to Camilla, my love to you increases with my love to God. The more I have suffered, the more progress I have made in the Christian religion, and the more also I have loved you. Console yourself in Jesus Christ. May your life be a copy of his. His final words to the woman he loved. Believer, I'm asking you, do you have that kind of love for Jesus Christ? And if you don't, would you be willing to allow God to develop that love in you. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me this morning?